We are jumping back into a series we started uh, in November. And in November, we started to walk through the New Testament letter of Hebrews. And uh, we took about four weeks in it, and we've been going uh, section by section or chapter by chapter uh, in the book of Hebrews. And so we, um, uh, we started that and then moved on to some other things and are jumping back into it today, uh, the end of chapter four, into chapter five. And so um, it's been a great, it was a great way to... Um, explore Hebrews, and we got the context for Hebrews as a people that were being written to were uh, new Christians that were struggling and were wrestling with how to move forward or not in their faith, if they should move forward in their faith. Should they go back to the kind of life or the kind of uh, things that they were dependent on before? And we learned that back in November. If you, ha- if you, have a- you can have access to those messages through our website or podcasts, and it'd be great to kind of get into speed with that. And then what we're going to do is we're going to follow Hebrews right up until Easter. So from today right up until Easter and uh, immerse ourselves in this book. But if you've got your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. And we're going to start um, right off just by reading the scripture and uh, just kind of let it sit with us as we listen to it, read it. Uh, We often say let it breathe a little bit. Um, And as well as we read, maybe there's something I might not say today that God wants to get your attention about. So maybe note that down as we're reading. But Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, and we're going to read uh, a little bit into chapter 5. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need." Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son. Today I've become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Let's just pray for a moment. Father, we invite you to speak to us some of the things that we might not be able to get to. We invite your spirit to... um, pull our attention towards if it's something specifically you want to say to us. Uh, Open our hearts, captivate our minds um, as we um, reflect on this. And God, make it purposeful and relevant uh, to our own lives as well. For some who are maybe seeking today, exploring who you are, uh, Lord, would would this next few moments be a moment of clarity and revelation for them? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
I went camping last summer. Janice and Ivan, they're here. They, they were, they're great campers. They referred us to some place uh, just, just uh, below the border. And so we went camping. And, and when we went camping, uh, we rented a canoe for, uh, for a couple of days while we were there. And it was great. And so I, don't, I hope I didn't share this story, but I, I share tons of stuff about myself, so I might be. But anyways, bear with me if I did. So here we are. We rent this canoe, and we did some canoeing. It was really fun. But my son and I decided, well, why don't we take the canoe into the middle of the lake and like dive off it? That would be fun. And so we, we took the canoe into the middle of the lake, and uh, we said, we're both swimmers. Andrew's a really good swimmer, and I'm a so-so swimmer. I can get by. So he said, we don't need our life jackets. We'll just kind of go in the middle of the lake and hang out. And then, so here I am in the canoe. Everything's kind of going well. Andrew jumps in. It works perfectly. He dives in. He's having fun. He's free and floating and swimming and everything. So it's my turn, and I got to jump in, but now I'm the only one in the canoe, and you know, those things kind of turn on you. And so I'm like, how am I going to stand and not make this tip and not make it jab my side and all this kind of stuff and I'm starting to think of all the bad things that can go wrong in this moment and and so I I jump in and then I have this moment of awareness that there's 50 feet of water beneath me and things I can't see like at my feet level and and the whole anxiety of jumping off the the boat and everything it's I don't know all of a sudden I just had this I've never had this in water before this anxiety attack like, what's happening here? And now, before we jumped, Andrew and I said, when we're in the water, let's race to shore. Well, he's like halfway back to shore, and I'm freaking out. I think I'm going to drown. Like, that's how bad it's getting, and I forget that I can swim in that moment. I don't know why that happens. And then I realized why people drown even though they can swim, because they, they just have this moment of worry and fear. So I start screaming back to Andrew, Andrew, Andrew. He doesn't hear me. I mean, I've screamed so loud, like the whole campsite is like, what's going on in the middle of the lake? And my wife gets Andrew's attention, and he stops, and then he comes back to me, and I literally could not go back on my own. It's like I needed someone it was really weird. And, and I felt for that time and that moment, for, the, for, for one of the first times in my life that way, at least with water, I felt helpless. I felt like I cannot like, fix this by myself. I cannot get back to shore by myself. I need someone to help me. I just even need someone just near me to do that. And I had to trust that Andrew would come and just kind of be there. And then, hey, together we went back to shore. And you guys are thinking, Dave, you're so weak. Why, you know, but it just, it happened. It happened. It's just this crazy moment of anxiety. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt in a moment, in a, uh, in a situation, uh, the way a relationship is going, uh, maybe something's happening at work, you just feel completely overwhelmed and you start getting anxious about it and you don't start, you don't think clearly. You don't even realize the things that are at your disposal to help you out, but you just feel like I'm overwhelmed, I'm way over my head. And this is a little bit like what the readers of Hebrews felt like in the first century. The, the, the author writes this letter specifically to these believers who were feeling overwhelmed. They started to follow Jesus. They started to, to, to discover who Jesus was. They started to meet with this, with this small church community, but then struggles hit and persecution hit. And they started to feel marginalized by their culture and by their family members who weren't following Christ. And, and they started to feel the trials that came with that. And all of a sudden, they started to feel overwhelmed and they wondered, can I really trust Jesus? Can I really go this way? Is this really going to help me? Can I trust this community? And the letter of Hebrews, at the heart of it, is that it points the readers, these early believers, 
to the superior role that Jesus has to get them directly to God. This role that Jesus has to get them directly to God, and specifically we read, in their time of need. Verse 16 is one of the key verses here. And it says, and here's what the writer says to these, to these readers, and even to us. Let us then approach God's throne to help us in our time of need. Let us then approach God's throne to help us in our time of need. That is the core idea as we move into this next section of Hebrews for the next two or three chapters to help us understand, to help them understand that God is available for us in a moment of need. In fact, in all of our needs. If we would be honest, many of us, I think, wonder, in the thick of my life, When things can get difficult or overwhelming, can I approach God to get me through this? Can I approach God to get me through this? The first readers, and like us today, really sometimes we ask this question, can I trust Jesus to walk me through this situation? Can I trust Jesus to get me through this season? Can I trust Jesus to help me out of this pit that I maybe feel I'm in? Or even the, overwhelm, the overwhelming sense of, of all the things that are going on in my life. Now, two filters I think we often ask. One is, can God actually do something for me? And the second is, can I even approach God? Like, does God want to hear me? Is he available for me? Several years back, uh, our fridge broke. And it was only six or eight months old or something like that. And the freezer was out of whack and the fridge was like, the temperature was up and down and we were losing food and, and, and but it was, it was like new, you know? And so I looked into the warranty and the guarantee and called where we bought this place. And we were, uh, they, they were just kind of running around giving us, giving like, kind of like not giving us real answers. So I thought, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to find out like who owns this company and I'm going to write them directly. Now, of course, I don't know who owns Maytag, right? Who owns whatever these companies are. But I thought, I'm going to try and get to the source. And so I researched how, who I write a letter to and who can I get to. And I did my best to literally get to the top and say, I'm going to go to the top person in, as, top, as high as I can get to help me figure out this problem. Now, I had my doubts because as many of you have tried to reach certain people in certain companies to help get help from. Often, you're left abandoned. Now, thankfully for us, eventually our fridge situation got taken care of. But we know. Have you called customer service lately? How many numbers you have to... And now they don't even, they don't even let you press zero anymore. Before, you used to press zero two, three times, and you'd get, like, finally, we will pass you to a customer service agent. Now you press zero, and they just kind of, you're in stall. You're in still mode. You're like, you have to choose one to five. Otherwise, you go nowhere or hang up, or try again, right? And so there, you know, there's this whole system to not get us to certain people that maybe could really do something for us. And I wonder if that's how we feel like with God. Can we really get to God? Can we get to him as we long for help, rescue? So there's this promise in this section of Hebrews, let us approach God's throne directly let us approach his throne with confidence in other words you can get through you can speak to God you can get to the top you will find a listening ear and an opening heart at God's throne 
That's what the writer is telling us is possible. Now, for the first readers, the only way they knew that, according to their, their old Jewish faith, many of them were part of the Jewish faith, they, they realized there was a system, there was rituals, there was sacrifices, there was certain routines to, to help you, to be representative for you to get to God. So some of them were thinking, well, I don't know if I can trust this Jesus we're talking about, maybe my old rituals, maybe my old patterns, maybe my old system, maybe my old synagogue. See, because for the Jews, the priest was like their customer service agent. You know, it, it was their representative to God and all, all, also representing God to them. And even though they began to follow Jesus and discovered this new way, this new path, their lives were getting messy. And they were feeling persecuted. And they were hitting trials. And things were getting hard. And they often wondered, can Jesus really get me through this? Like, can he really, really get me through this? And Hebrews constantly points them and us to the uniqueness of Jesus. He is the one that gets us through to God. Here's that verse in Chapter 5, verse 1, since we have a great high priest in Jesus, since we have a great high priest in Jesus, let me tell you how exactly that will impact your life, this writer says. Look at verse, chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have a great high priest in Jesus, the high priest, in, according to what he was writing or she was writing to this group of people, was helping them remember the high priest in their own religious system. It represented uh, them to God, and the high priest offered sacrifices for their sin. That was the only way that they could feel a resolve or a resolution for their sin. Now, the problem was is that the high priest for Jews was still selected among the people. So that high priest was still imperfect, was still sinful, and just like everybody else, had their own issues. So as much as they could be a pastor or an encouragement, as much as they could offer sacrifice for the people, they couldn't do more than that. Now, before you think this is only a religious thing, they're secular priests, in our culture. I know we're like a modern culture. We don't need priests, but people somehow reach out to figurative priests, leaders, corporate leaders, political leaders, even friends or spiritual leaders or motivational speakers. How many, how many like motivational quotes do you find on Facebook all the time? What are people doing? They're metaphorically reaching for a motivational priest to help them get through their day, their week, their life. They're, they're reaching out for something, saying, is there a representative for me? Is there someone that can do something for me? Is there someone who can throw me a line, give me hope? How many people long to hear someone say the words back to them? I forgive you. You are forgiven. This is okay. How many people long for that? that, that that's part of the role of what the priest was. How can I find a sense of forgiveness when something breaks? And so there's secular priests as well. What Hebrews is saying is Jesus was appointed the ultimate priest, the ultimate high priest, that God would send a high priest who would do what the regular priesthood or the secular priesthood cannot do. Jesus would do what religion or irreligion can't do. And the reason why is that Jesus sits on both sides of the human and divine experience. 
Jesus sits on both sides of the human and divine experience. Jesus is fully human. If we, today we sang this, I believe, and, and uh, you know, I believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It reflects the Orthodox creeds, the ancient creeds of the church. And one of those creeds would state that Jesus was fully human, fully man, and fully God. This human side of Jesus, what the priesthood was always meant to be like pastorally, Jesus walked with humanity. Jesus suffered with humanity. Jesus took on human sin. Jesus empathized, Hebrew says, with our weakness. Jesus was tempted in every way that humanity was tempted. And so there was a sense that Jesus was on the human side of the equation. But that's not all. Jesus was also on the divine side of the equation. It says that Jesus ascended into heaven. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, in other words, has gone to a place where, God's, where God is. He has, he's in God's very own presence, God's very own realm. And often we see the world and heaven as two different realms, our space, God's space. One of the ways to, to, to translate that phrase is Jesus went through the heavens. Almost like whatever dimensions are, are between us and God, Jesus went through that and sits at his right hand, sits by his throne. So Jesus holds the human side and Jesus holds the divine side. Jesus is like no other high priest. He's like no other counselor. He's ultimately better in every single Way. And that's the theme of Hebrews. There is something better for us. There is something better in Jesus. And so Jesus as a high priest does something that no one else can do for us. A few things Jesus has done. He walked with us, so he experienced our humanity. He died for us when he was made perfect in his death and he conquered sin. And this is what the scripture says, that Jesus prays for us. He intercedes for us. That he continues to implement what he accomplished on the cross on our behalf. He continues to do that. He continues to advocate for you, to pray for you, to intercede for you, to work on your behalf. So he walked with us, he died for us, and he continues to intercede for us. And so as high priest, he is one who supports us, but here's the beauty. He's also one who saves us. He doesn't just give us support. He saves us. He rescues us. And so this is the beauty of when we understand the power of Jesus. He can support us in our present need. That's ultimate, That's, that's what, what, what some of us want in the moment, right? God, this is going on right now. I need you. God, I'm going through this situation. I need your guidance. Lord, I'm in this struggle. Can you give me wisdom? Can you uh, do a miracle? So there's this sense of in our present need, Jesus is there to support us. And whether it's persecution, discouragement, health, sorrow, hurt, whatever it is, Jesus becomes the best counselor, the best pastor, the best priest, the best friend, the biggest prayer partner. He supports us. He is the best, most perfect priest ever. Because of Jesus, we have direct access to God. So we find that support. We can go to God's throne of grace because of Jesus. And Jesus showed us that God's throne isn't merely a throne of power, isn't just a throne of strength, isn't just a throne of like might and grandness, that God's throne is also a throne of grace. So there's support. 
But then Jesus meets our ultimate need that no one else can meet, and he saves us. Humanity's lost. We're lost in our sin. Um, Being dead to sin, the scriptures talk about it. And you know, here's the interesting thing. Even if God would meet every single one of your needs, like today, you would walk home and all your needs would be met. Whatever you're praying for, imagine. Have you seen the, the movie Bruce Almighty? When he tries to answer everybody's prayers, it never goes well. But let's say God answered all our prayers and all our needs would be met. You'd still be left with an ache in your soul of an ultimate need that is not met. That nothing that, is, that just comes um, in terms of resolution in our world or resolve or a solution for you can do. And that is the ache that sin leaves in our heart, the longing for healing that can never happen on this side of eternity fully. So, and that's, that's one of the reasons why sometimes becoming a Christian feels like spiritual surgery. Have any of you experienced that as you came to faith or maybe early on in your faith or maybe even, even like 10, 20 years later, God still sometimes does some work in you and, and it can feel like spiritual surgery. But when we first come to faith, Jesus ultimately wants to go deep and it's like he almost wants to kill us in the process. Don't, don't freak out here. But it, not literally. But he wants to kill something in us in the process. That's why the scripture uses language like die to your sin or I die, I die with Christ so I can be raised with Christ. It's like he wants to kill the wages of sin in us. L- listen to what, what uh, the author of Hebrews says a little bit early on in, in verse 12. If you can get to that one. Okay, I'll read it off my Bible. Um, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And I mean, tell me this line doesn't freak you out. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. That's like, like a big knife for that. I don't know. So, So it penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. That's God's word. The word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword, and it pierces through our hearts to save us from what's in us that ultimately is killing us. One of my family members recently had a surgery in the last couple of months, and something happened years back where they were in an accident, and, and it altered something in their spine. And their spine started to grow Ab- parts of their spine started to grow abnormally, almost like, like things would come out of their spine. And eventually, if something wasn't fixed, it would turn in and literally paralyze them, possibly even kill them. So they had to have surgery. And the surgery was like a five-hour surgery. And the doctor, one of the best in Canada, thankfully, what they did was they literally went in their throat. That's how they went in. They didn't go from the back. They went in their throat, down their throat with cameras and all the stuff that they do. And then they, and they cut through and they took off the damaging pieces in the spine. They, they literally, when I think about this, they literally went through their body, cut through, and then got to the spine through them so they could remove the damaging pieces. But it saved them. It saved them. It it saved them from something that would eventually turn on them and paralyze them and kill them. And that's ultimately what God's word does and the gospel does. It doesn't cut us to hurt us. It doesn't cut us 
to, to you know, in, in, a, in a way that would, would want harm for us, it cuts through us so it will remove the damage that sin wants to do in us ultimately. And, and that's why sometimes becoming a Christian feels like spiritual surgery. And then it tells us of Jesus later on in chapter 5 that he becomes the eternal source of our salvation. Becomes the eternal source of our salvation. He doesn't just meet our needs presently. He meets our ultimate lead, need. The eternal source of salvation. I'm going to ask the team to come up as we close um, in just a minute or two. The worship team. But I just want you to think about this. And maybe just leave thinking about these two ideas about Jesus. Jesus, as the ultimate high priest, supports us and saves us. He supports us and saves us. The reason he's able to do that is because only Jesus stands on both sides of the relational equation. Human and divine. And only Jesus, think about, think about how the scriptures teach and talk about baptism. That in baptism, we die with Christ, we are buried with Christ, and then we rise with Christ. Why is that? Is that in that moment, our ultimate need is taken care of through Jesus Christ. We die with him, we're buried with him, we're raised to him. Sometimes we talk about baptism, and some people say, I, I, I'm following Jesus, I love Jesus, and I often say, why do you want to be baptized? Are you thinking about baptism? Maybe that's one of the next steps for you in your faith to become resolutionary in your faith this year, is, is this decision to be baptized in a, in a public, significant uh, decision where you say, I, I want to literally with my whole life, and even metaphorically with my body, I want to die with Christ, I want to be buried with Christ, and want to be raised with Christ. That sense of baptism, and when those of you who are baptized, to live out your baptism is to know that Jesus has done that for you, and you are living that out. And then here's, here's the offer on the table as we close. Here's the offer on the table for each and every one of us. The writer of the Hebrews says, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. What does he say that? With confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's the offer on the table. The offer on the table is you can approach God's throne of grace. You can approach his throne of grace with confidence. Why? Because Jesus is your high priest. Because Jesus sits, stands on both sides of the equation. Because Jesus doesn't just support us, he saves us. And so with confidence, we can approach God's throne of grace. And this is the offer. So we may receive mercy and we may find grace. Mercy, something we don't deserve. It's God's mercy towards us. Even though we're sinners, even though we fail, even though we make decisions that at times don't honor God, even though maybe right now you're standing here and your whole life has been completely in a trajectory away from God, God says, come and trust me. I set my son Jesus to stand on both sides of the relational equation so you can know me and come to my throne of grace and I'm offering you mercy. I'm offering you mercy. I'm saying come, not based on what you're doing or how good you are or how bad you are. I invite you to come based on my mercy for you. And so we can find mercy or receive mercy. That word is important, receive mercy. Because God might be offering it, but you're not receiving it. God's saying take it and then find grace. Mercy frees us from the trajectory of sin. Grace enables us to live out a new life with Jesus. 
So we can find grace when we approach God's throne with confidence. We find grace for us to live tomorrow, to live this week, to walk the life that God has called us to live, to enable us to, to, to live away from sin and walk into a life that God has in store for us that is full of abundant living. We can receive and find grace with him. I was thinking about this, and, and I was thinking about one of our leaders at Westside. A couple months back, we were in a meeting, and um, a verse came up. It was a simple prayer out of Ephesians that uh, God can do immeasurably more than he can, we can ask or think or imagine. And this person started to weep because they remembered a time in their life where they were so far from God, probably for like 15, 20 years. And they came back to God, and they, 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 they struggled with many things, and one of them was was uh, depression. And they remember as they came back to God, they, they, they received, they sensed God's mercy. And then they took that verse and they would put that verse, like they, I think she put it on her, you know, like in her bathroom, in her, in her kitchen, kept it in her car, because she realized by God's grace, he's going to keep leading me and guiding me. And from when I met this person particular to today, uh, God has done such a, a revolutionary change in her life. So wonderful. She received mercy. And she found grace to live into God's new future for her. That's what God wants to... That's the offer on the table for us. It's possible because of Jesus. I want us to stand as we close today. And I just invited Mike to lead us in that song again. Uh, Christ is enough. Because as we sing these words, I, just, I want us to end our gathering affirming affirming the work of Jesus affirming the work of Jesus and if, you're, if you've been following Jesus for a while let's affirm it, let's celebrate it let's be grateful for it uh, if, there's, if there's ways that you've kind of like, like forgotten how beautiful and wonderful it is let's, let's celebrate this and just magnify it in our hearts but if you're here today and maybe for the first time you're wondering I, I would love to experience this mercy and grace as we sing this song I invite you to welcome Jesus into your heart to trust him to put your trust in him. To say, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I want to lean on you. Jesus, I want to take this offer from you to trust you so I can approach God's throne of grace and find mercy and grace. All you need to do is is come to Jesus. And even as we sing these words, ask Jesus, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. I need your mercy. I need your mercy. I need your grace and I want to call you Lord so you can lead me and guide me save me so wherever you are this morning in your relationship with God let's sing these words either as an affirmation or as a step forward into trusting Jesus Mike would you lead us as we God we affirm that we affirm that right now Christ is enough for us Lord thank you thank you that in Christ You have given us a perfect priest. You have given us one who took on our sin. You have given us one who understands our weakness, who understands our humanity. Yet you've given us one, a priest that lives forever and a priest that has gone through the heavens to your throne, that has not only walked with us and died for us, but intercedes for us. Thank you. 
one who supports us and has saved us. And we can come right to you this morning with confidence. So Lord, we just, we receive your mercy and we find grace here with you. God, I pray for some that have maybe been making that decision today to trust you for the first time. Reveal to them in their hearts just the beauty of this relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.